Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy. Here we discuss all things architecture and design, to travel, exploring Bastu Shastra with a modern approach, and I connect with other like-minded women to share their story. I am your host, Katerina Burianova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. Today, I am joined by Krista Markovecchio, architectural coach, helping architecture students build confidence and navigating them through the rigorous world of architecture school. Krista, welcome to From the Honeycomb. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to be here. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's great to finally get to meet you. Yes, likewise. And as we begin every episode, we like to take a moment to ground down and think of something that we are grateful for in the present moment. So Krista, what are you grateful for? So this morning, I did my most soul-filling activity, which is ride horses. And not that I ever forget how much I like really love to be around animals and like horses especially, but I just go there and like their aura, their energy, they just like feel what you need in that moment and like vice versa. So for sure, definitely horseback riding, horses, the realm of equestrianism. (laughs) I love that. And how long have you been riding? Ooh, since I'm a little kid. I I was four-ish when I started. Love it. Love it. A little baby. And I'm 31 now. Oh, Oh, me too. Oh, we're the same age. Nice. Oh, yeah. See? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, No, I actually, I lived on the East Coast in New Hampshire for a little bit and was Mm -hmm. horseback riding there and I loved it. So I just, oh. Horses, there's something about, they're just so magical. Right. They know. They know when you, like, need something. They're, they're like, big so you can hug them. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, oh, they're, they're the best. They are. They're- it's such a gift to have, like, have that background. And I'm always so thankful to my parents for, you know, letting me be so fortunate to be brought up or in that world. It's a great gift. So if anybody has kids and they're looking for a hobby that will really teach their kids discipline and compassion and how to speak a different language, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I always call it because horses just speak body language. It's just, it's an amazing world to be a part of. Oh, absolutely. So Krista, I'm really excited to have you on because I've had interviews with other architects and I've had all sorts of different ranges of architecture talking about entrepreneurship, but I've never really talked about with someone about architecture school. So that's one thing I'm really excited to talk to you about. But before we begin, share with us your journey with architecture and kind of what inspired you to become an architect. Definitely. Architecture school was grueling, to say the least. I'm sure if there's anyone listening who is currently in architecture school, thinking about going to architecture school, this will be a fantastic episode for you to listen to. It will give you some light at the end of the tunnel. My journey with architecture in particular probably was unconventional, I would say. Most of the people that I speak to who are currently architects, obviously it's a passion field. So most people have been wanting to do this since they were a little kid, had their eye on the prize and only went for architecture from day one. That was not the case for me. (laughs) When I was little, I always liked to do like interior design, which I didn't realize at the time was what I was doing was, you know, making little drawings. And like, I loved my canopy bed and I played the Sims, like that's a huge thing. Played the Sims, I like built houses and all I wanted to do was decorate the rooms and put furniture. And I had like 8 million houses. I never actually played the Sims, I just built the houses. And so I had mentioned to my mom, like that, that was something that interests me. And for whatever reason, she said to me, interior designers don't make money. 
So I like very quickly erased that from my brain and just thought that I would be like a horseback rider for the rest of my life. <laughs> Obviously that was, you know, a pipe dream of mine. And so I went to high school. I was always a really undecided kid. So when I was graduating high school, again, I like didn't really know what I wanted to go to college for. I took an AP psych class when I was in a senior, when I was a senior in high school. And I loved it. I was good at it. I loved my teacher and I, I loved that field. So I wound up going for my first degree, for my first undergraduate degree at Adelphi University on Long Island for psychology. And I finished my degree. I was there for all four years. And my, I think my last semester of my senior year at Adelphi, I was adamant about getting an internship. I landed a little internship. But the person that I landed the internship with was she called herself an industrial organizational psychologist, which is very similar to just interior design. Okay. And I sought her out like on purpose because I knew that she was like, you know, of that train of thought, of that thinking. And I thought like, okay, here's a way that I can marry interior design with psychology. And here's this woman who's in the field who's kind of like a pioneer of this new realm. So I interned with her. That was a little bit not what I thought it was going to be like the things that the task she had me doing had very much to do with kind of marketing to hospitals this like new line of clothing that she wanted to carry in hospitals so it was very like disconnected with what I thought I was going to be doing you know and it was a great experience to work you know like with someone else or for someone else and she you know at the end of my senior year she said like I would love to offer you a job but I'm a one woman show she was in jersey so it would be like a totally remote thing and that was like well before remote was a thing you know and it was really a blessing in disguise because I wound up graduating with no job like nothing lined up and I kind of like went back to serving at a restaurant and was like well now what like I have to go back to school regardless because what am I going to do with just like a psychology degree so I took one semester to just like work and I guess figure out what I was going to do next next and in that semester I went to I went abroad for the first time ever with my best friend and we went to Spain London and Paris mm -hmm. and it like totally transformed me it was already in my brain that I wanted to go to back to school I knew I really wanted to do like interior design or so I thought and when I went to Europe, I was like, yes, this is totally my jam. I'm in, I went to Harry Potter world in London. <laughs> I saw like the half scale Hogwarts model. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I want to go to school and build this. So that is for sure what solidified going to architecture school, no matter what. So I actually started architecture school a semester after I graduated from my first degree. Okay. So I had already been in school for four years and then I was going back for another five. <laughs> So that was January of 2014. And um, yeah, it's been, I'm sure we'll talk about what happened thereafter, but that's how I got there in the first place. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I know, so you went to NYIT when I, I've seen that. Funny thing is I applied there and I visited there actually. Really? I did. So oh, I wow. do know what school you ended up in. I think NYIT has a great program. So yeah, share with us once you did get to architecture school, what was that like? Yeah. So like I said, I had been through school already. Mm -hmm. I was always a good student, always like just to perfectionist, very organized. Like I always just wanted to like do whatever the teacher needed me to do. I just wanted to be like, you know, a good student and whatever that meant I needed like to get the A's. Right. So I really like didn't think any, I didn't think that architecture school would be anything different than all the school that I had already just been through. Mm -hmm. So 
day one in um fundies one for architecture like i'm all nervous i'm also like keep in mind i'm now like almost five years older than these students so i was like a little like i don't know how they're gonna see me here like this is really bizarre i'm also used I'm, my birthday's late in the year so i'm used to always being the youngest so it was like a total 180 for me i'm back in school everyone around me is like 18 years old and i was like you know filled with excitement i was nervous and so day one in class, I not only fell in love with architecture and was like, holy cow, this is something completely different. Not like anything I ever have done before. Like this is definitely my home and definitely what I want to do for the rest of my life. But this is going to be the hardest thing I do forever <laughs> and ever and ever. And that definitely ran, ran true th throughout my five years there. I was really like expecting it to be similar to the school that I had just been through. Obviously I knew that I wouldn't be writing papers, but I didn't, I very much underestimated like the, like the, the sleep deprivation yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. about to ensue. <laughs> and like just the, I don't know exactly what the word might be, but like the level of, of like deliverable expectation mm -hmm. that was coming of, of like actual physical things that needed to be like done and made and thought about and like, I definitely underestimated how time consuming that was going to be. And it was a good lesson in like done is better than perfect and mm -hmm. breaking out of that perfectionism type of thing and like letting your brain play and like make stuff and like, you know, it doesn't have to be spot on perfect every time because you have to mold the mold to get to the end result. Right. But it took me a long time to realize that. So wasted a lot of time doing perfection. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know, and this is one thing I struggled with in architecture school is, and hearing that you are a student and there's the perfectionism, is I always notice professors, you know, towards the end of your project are like, well, what if you did this? And they change your whole thing. And that's when the all-nighters ensue and everything. And I... I personally didn't take that very well if they said, oh, you want to change this whatever design. I'm like, well, too late, too bad. I'm not. I was a BC student because <laughs> I'm like, first off, you're not paying me to do this. That was my whole thing. <laughs> so I had a different mindset. But I'd love to hear what your mindset was because that's something in studio culture is the professors, they act like your client and they change stuff, but they do it at the always the most inconvenient time, which is like the 11th hour. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you bring that up because it's something that I struggle with in the office. And now that you're saying it, it really has my brain thinking like, yeah, that's exactly what professors used to do to you. And I just said this yesterday in my office. I said the thing that I struggle most with in being in actually really being in the real office now is the or this, like the or this thing drives me crazy because yeah, you could or this until the cows come home. But at the end of the day, you need a decision and you need to be able to move forward with something. So in terms of my professors doing that to me, as you might imagine, it completely threw me for a loop. You know, I went down the rabbit hole anytime they said or this. And it's really like the reason why I think my thesis year was really the most difficult for me because every question was or this. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole every time, like I said, because all I wanted to do was like be the good student and like they said to explore this option I would spend the next two weeks exploring that option even if it was wrong so getting out of that or this or at least having me a personal authority to make that decision for yourself like I so admire the fact that you were like I'm not doing that mm -hmm. and 
deciding for yourself what you feel is worth exploring and where you're going to learn the most. That for me was not existent when I was in school. So I went down those rabbit holes and I really think it was to my detriment because I spent a lot of time and, you know, energy on things that maybe never would come to fruition or weren't the best learning opportunities for me. It's a, definitely a fine line to deal with and it carries through throughout your career. Yeah. And that's definitely something you don't realize in architecture school. And I think you coming off of, you know, having four years of school and already even being life experience and more mature than an 18, 19 year old who is experiencing this for the first time and going, yeah, but I just, you know, spent all this time working on something and you want me to do differently and like how to even navigate architecture school, which when we first got on the call is we were talking about like, it's just architecture school. It's completely different than anything else. You know, in psychology, you write papers, I'm sure, and do that. But architecture school, you have model making and then now you're doing 3D renderings. And I don't know if you hand drafted. Did you hand draft at all? You did? did, Okay, you did. did. So you've got that aspect to it. And there's just so much going on at the same time. And I don't know about for you, did you have a point in your architecture program where students started to drop off? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we started, these are rough numbers. Mm-hmm. I really have to go back and like actually check, but this is what I always say. We started with maybe 200, maybe more. And my graduating class was 45. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. Okay. Uh-huh. And was there a certain year? Because I know for us, second year was when we we dropped, but we also had transfer students so that we ended up kind of equalizing that way. But was there ever like a semester that just wiped everybody? I don't know if there was one specific semester. To be honest, the way that it feels, I'm sure there was one that a lot of people left. It really felt like every semester there were less and less. And it was like, oh, what happened to this one? Oh, you know, (laughs) they switched, they did this, they did that. So it really kind of felt like a slow trickle all the way down. I really feel like it was a slow trickle. Like it was kind of every semester, one after another, you would kind of like lose them there. I'll say for NYIT at least, and I know that this is similar to other schools, there's a four-year degree and a five-year degree. So of course, like during that transition, there were people that chose different tracks. Also, as far as NYIT goes, at least when I was there, the track for architecture and interior design, which is why I chose NYIT, by the way, was the same for the first two years. So after the first two years, we all split. And then yet again, there was the choice to go four year or five year. So, you know, of course, there was a little bit of that going on as well. I see. I see. Now, And so now you are how many years outside of out of school? Oh, boy. I graduated in 18. Okay. Mm-hmm. Five Five years. Wow. Wow. So same as you were in. And because what I love is kind of coming back to your coaching program and helping architecture students. So now you are five years out. You know, what have you found has been really beneficial and how do you see students responding? First, let's, yeah, what do you find beneficial to students and what is one thing students are coming to you with the most? The thing that I find my advice when I give to students, the thing that is the most beneficial that I see them thrive the best once they really like wrap their head around this is understanding that school is really different than the field and not to spend all of your time and energy like I did, like contrasting to how you did, you know, like trying to please your professor, trying to get the A, trying to go down the rabbit holes, like just 
trying instead of thinking about school as the grade, mm-hmm. thinking about school as the learning tool that's giving you those types of thinking skills, critical thinking skills, and understanding very fully that that type of design and like, you know, the creativity aspect being judged on your creativity is not the thing that when you go into the office, that's not the thing that's going to get you paid. Mm -hmm. You need to produce drawings, you need to manage projects, you need to, you know, have actual, actual architectural knowledge. And I think that the downfall to what students think because of the way school portrays it to them, that you're going to get paid and land the job and, and be successful off of solely your creativity, which is a completely subjective measure of success in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So I, my best advice is to encourage students to up-level your marketable skills, have confidence in your actual architectural knowledge, mm-hmm. because those are the things that are going to transfer into the field and ultimately land you the job because your future employer will be able to see that in your words, your language, your confidence when you come into the office and you have actual architectural knowledge, not just airy-fairy design (laughs) skills from school. (laughs) No, absolutely. You bring up such a good point because I just was remembering like some of the, my classmates who would have the most amazing renderings and the coolest designs. And I would look at my stuff and I just, technology wise, I'm just not very good. I'm very organized. I can manage well, but give me a rendering that I just don't have that technical skill. And that's so true is like when you're comparing yourself in architecture school to your other classmates. And the big thing is creativity. You know, the what who comes up with, you know, whatever the building is and then the great design. And then of course now with all the 3D rendering models, I mean, you can have some amazing, I remember some of the models were just like, I was like, wow. Well, and my thought process would be, well, I hope they're good because they might end up working for me one day because that was, you know, the mindset I kept thinking because I just was like, you know, I do have good design, but you don't think about it in architecture school, like what you said, when you come into the office and you're managing projects, because now, especially too, and I noticed this at our, at my firm, I don't know about for where you work, but architecture is a lot more admin time, emailing, managing, meeting with clients, coordinating, you know, the design aspect at a firm, especially if you're not the principal architect is very minimal. So it's almost, it's a completely different experience than when you're in architecture school. I could not agree more. And I see students get so caught up, myself included, that's how I was as well, in that comparison, mm-hmm. comparison theory, comparison downfall, whatever, whatever the next word is, but comparison to other students. And you get so down on yourself, especially if you're of the type of mindset that I know you and I are of, and as I'm sure your listeners are of as well. If, if you if you are listening to a podcast like this, it is because you want to get better mm-hmm. and you are looking to increase your skills and you are looking around at the people around you saying, what are they doing that I could also do better? And when you're really in the depths of architecture school and pulling those all-nighters and trying to please your professors and getting, trying to get the A, making the models, doing the drawings, the last thing that you need is to look over to your left and this kid has a rendering that's like about to be on a billboard type of thing. Because like I tell my students, that's not the thing that gets you a job in the office. And yeah, you may come in and wow an, em- an employer with a portfolio, but when you get in the office and 
they need you to, you know, get a drawing set out tomorrow. And all you know how to do is render something like that's not valuable to an employer. I understand it looks cool. And yeah, it's very clickbaity and trendy and like very Instagrammable. And like, we live in, a, in an age where aesthetics are everything and everyone wants to see stuff that's cool. I get it, of course. But if you're looking to really make an impact in an office and raise your worth and your value in an office, then you need to understand what the employer that you're going to work for needs, how they make money, how they can actually turn things out and get projects done because that's how they make money. And we're going to focus on those skills instead of being the most creative in the room, because who says who's creative and who's not? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I completely agree with you. I think as you're talking, I'm really thinking back to my college experience in architecture school, and it does vastly differ so much. And I was having a conversation with someone this past week who decided not to take the architecture school route, actually, and is doing kind of not like, because one thing too, which was what we talked about is architecture was apprenticeship hundred years ago. We didn't have architecture school. It was you work in the office and then you you build up. And you know, that's I think one thing too is coming out of an architecture school, you may be, you know, top of your class. And when you graduate, you're back at the bottom. Like you are drafting and you're and then you have to work your way up to being a manager. So but going back to the conversation I was having with this person about architecture school, he decided architecture school wasn't for him and he would go straight into working at an office. And so he was asking me about, you know, is architecture school worth it? Or why can't I at 18 go work at an architecture firm and eventually make my way up to becoming an architect? And, you know, I told him, I think there is value in architecture school because it does teach you, you know, the design. And it's it's a time you get to have the most fun with design, I think, which I didn't realize when I was in architecture school. Looking back on it, I would have had way more fun with design and gone crazy with my designs because you don't have to, we didn't have to design to the code. I don't know about you. No, not to the code. No, no code, no structure, no client, no, no, no nothing, no zoning, no, no budget. Just, just no budget. Yeah, like barely property lines, sort of property lines, I guess, but like no easements, no nothing. Yeah. Just do you. <laughs> yeah. But what do you think you would say to someone who, you know, is questioning, well, you know, do I need to go to architecture school if it differs so much from the actual real world? Yeah, that is a really good point and not really something that I would consider. So, mm-hmm. great question. I don't think that it's to play like probably unpopular opinion. I don't think that it's the worst thing in the world to not go to architecture school mm-hmm. and to do that 10 year plus type of track and take your AREs and get licensed that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's like totally out of the question. It is obviously rare. I've actually never seen that in my years in the field, but if you are looking to I think if you're looking to be in an office long-term and to get a ton of real experience and like go an unconventional track and you will be 10 years ahead of people who are graduating from school. And that is a huge advantage. If you ask me, if I had spent those five years that I spent in school working for five years, meaning if I had been in it full-time in an office right now for 10 years, that would be a huge advantage. So I would encourage people, although unconventional, and I'm sure maybe debatable, I would encourage people not to throw that out right away. Like that might be a really great way to get yourself in the door, find out what you like, like really learn practical stuff. I could definitely see like a CM or like a GC going that kind of route. 
oftentimes I will see like CMs and GCs who are architects who kind of went the opposite route, but I don't see, I think that that would be a really powerful way to build a super solid career. The only thing that I would say about that is that taking your AREs is really difficult and requires a part of your brain discipline. You know, I don't know exactly what it would be called, but it's, I mean, your AREs are very similar to the way that school is studying for a test. Like you're not going to have tests, obviously, if if you're working in the field for 10 years, but if you're in school, yeah, you have a structures test that Mm -hmm. you need to sit down and study for. So that would probably be my only caveat as far as if you were to go that route is taking your ARES is difficult and be prepared to kind of go back to the drawing board as a student 10 years after you've graduated from high school. So keep that in the back of your mind. But I think if you honed those technical skills and like really learned real architecture and got yourself in an office and learned how to draw and draft and like project manage, like I don't think that that's a terrible idea whatsoever. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I like your perspective because yeah, like you said, it's very far and few in between. And, you know, there is that most people go through the architectural route. So that's why I was just curious about your view on that because I think, yeah, for, and you brought up a great point with AREs and remind me, are you licensed or are you still in your ARE process? I finished all my AREs. Yay. I, yes, thank you. I finished all my AREs almost two years ago. So right now it is a paperwork thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But one thing which you brought up with the AREs is I remember vaguely being mentioned about the exams in school like maybe architecture 101 class, my first semester of architecture school. And that seemed like five years already of architecture school was like, I'm going to be, so I started at 18. So I was like, I'm going to be 23. I'm like, oh my God, that's so long. And then the exams, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be, I thought I was going to have, you know, all my exams, school done, two kids, firm and a family by the time I was 30. Obviously that did not happen. (laughs) But like, you're just thinking, oh my gosh, that's so far in advance. So did you hear about the ARES in your architecture school? Same exact thing. Super vague, very like, very big brother eye in the sky, like these things, these big scary things that happen like after school and no real concrete education on it, no real actual things to like plan for, kind of just like a fend for yourself type of thing, like if you want to get, obviously I knew that if you wanted to get licensed, you have to take your AREs, Mm -hmm. but that was pretty much all I knew. Mm -hmm. But to get licensed, you have to take your AREs and the AREs are really, 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 really hard. Yeah. (laughs) That was about it. Yeah, no, they, yeah, I definitely, yeah, like I said, yeah, don't remember the AREs. And then while you were taking the AREs, did you find architecture school to be helpful throughout the exams or did you look back towards more like your actual architectural work to help you or neither? Yeah, I don't want to burst everybody's bubble, but no, I wasn't able to pull, I would say almost anything from that I learned in architecture school with the exception of maybe structures. But, you know, it also depends on how your structures professor teaches you, you know, the formulas and how to do quote unquote structures. 
and like the general consensus amongst architecture school was when it came to structures was well you'll you'll always have a structural engineer mm-hmm. who will have so don't worry about it I'm just kind of like pass the class type of thing and I really loved my structures professor and I loved my structure professor and I did well in the class and I did like understand what he was teaching us but when it came to the ARES it was completely different than the way that he presented it to us so I definitely had to pull not only on my work in the field, but like really study and like try and figure out what it is that I didn't know. In terms of taking your AREs, my best advice would be to make sure you have both commercial and residential experience because when I was taking them, I had only worked in the commercial sector. So any like wood frame questions, I had no clue. Interesting. I'm totally reverse. I've had no like minimal commercial experience. So I was like all residential. So during my exams, I was like, what is all this commercial like information that you need to learn? And so I think that's one thing about architecture too, is it is a huge umbrella of what you do, residential, commercial, you could do airports, like you could do hospitals. And then there's even more avenues you can take with architecture that I think it's so, it is difficult to go to architecture school and expect to learn all of that. And then for the ARES, expect to be tested on everything. So it's definitely, it's a huge like industry and there's so much you can do with it. Yeah. There's so much you can do. And I think that taking that concept can be really scary at first when you hear like it, there's just so much you can do, but it's also really empowering because Like we were just saying, if you're in architecture school and you're feeling like you're drowning through this comparison theory thing, you have to understand that, like we said, if you're even here listening to this podcast, you and I have the same type of mentality. Someone who's going to architecture school, you're ambitious, you're driven, you're a problem solver, you have all those types of skills. And there is a place for you in architecture, without a doubt, whether you are you know, the best designer on the green earth, super creative or not creative whatsoever. There is a place for you in this field. It may not be the conventional place that's cool and click-worthy and on Architectural Digest and that they make shows about and, you know, like your typical type of quote-unquote architect, but your skills, especially when you hone the ones that are valuable and marketable and make you the most money, (laughs) especially when you focus on those types of like integral parts of offices that get stuff done, you will find your place. So it breaks my heart when, like, for example, when people were dropping out of architecture school because they never got to the finish line, Mm -hmm. you know, they never got to like see that they could have maybe found somewhere that was their home. No, absolutely. No, that's so true. And it's also true. I was just thinking of the two close friends I have from architecture school. And between the three of us, we have taken such different routes There's me who does single family residential homes, who's just recently started her own firm. There's one who is now a wedding photographer. She also had her own company where she designed scarves. And then my other friend is an architect in the military. So we all like, I mean, it's amazing what architecture school can set you up for. And I think thinking back to architecture school too is for the studio class. So that's your main class. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what in architecture school, we have our studio, which is like our main class. It's where we do all of the projects and all the other classes are kind of on the periphery. So your structural, HVAC, but in that studio class, I do have to say the things I really appreciated from studio was learning how to present, 
learning how to speak with my ideas, even though most of the time I was so scared (laughs) to get up and talk. But I think it's made me be able to sound professional when I started interviewing for jobs and things like that. So yeah, that's a few little tangents in that. (laughs) Absolutely. But you, you bring up great points because that's what we're saying. You know, like you may not be the most creative one. You may not be the technical skills. You may not be X, Y, Z in the firm, but you may be really great at client relationships and presentations and, you know, being the face of the company type of thing. So you're still a great part of an architectural team, even if you're not the one who's coming up with the designs or drawing the designs or documenting the designs. You may be the person that's up there presenting and that person is valuable as well. No, absolutely. And is there a way do you think you can, I guess, while you're in architecture school, you find out what you're good at when you're applying for jobs, how can you kind of show that in your resume or portfolio? Like what's a tip you could give or advice? Mm -hmm. I think that there is definitely a level of difficulty with not only presenting that to your employer, but also finding that Mm -hmm. because like we've said, you're so early in your career that you probably don't even know how much is out there and what you're really, really good at. Like for me personally, I didn't find out what I was good at until I was in the office and I was in the office and we needed standards made at for, you know, like for the office. And it was basically like a, who wants to be on the committee type of thing. And my brain was like, Ooh, that would be something that would be really fun for me. I love organization. I love AutoCAD. I can work well in this team. I like to put my input in. I have strong opinions. Like it wasn't something that was blatantly obvious in architecture school whatsoever, because I actually thought that I was like never going to find my place in architecture school. So I think that if you are at a point where you do know the thing that you're good at, I would say number one, be open to other things that you may be good at. But if you are confident in the thing that you are very good at, presenting that in your portfolio is also going to be something that's a little bit of a challenge, but find a way to present it in your portfolio, but more so than anything, find a way to bring it up in your interview to your Mm. employer. Because if it's in there and it's down on paper type of thing, then you, you know, best case scenario, your employer brings it up and you're able to actually speak on it. But if they don't, then it's there on paper for you to bring up. And the same way that I said to be confident when you're talking in an interview type of thing, that level of confidence with something that you know you're good at, that you put in your portfolio that you want to talk about, that confidence will come across to your employer. So figure out if that skill that you know you're good at, that you enjoy is valuable to your employer. If it's not blatantly valuable, find a way to make it look valuable (laughs) to your employer and then show them how that skill that you have can make them more money and then speak about that confidently in your interview. And that's how you land an internship at least to get you in the door because then you may find other things that you're good at as well. Like in my case. No, absolutely. And the size of your firm, do you work for a large firm or a smaller firm? Small. We're, we're pretty small. We're a division of larger company, but my team, we're only like 10. 10. Okay. That's, and that's a great, I know I brought it up in other podcast episodes too, about working at a, a smaller firm is a place where you will be able to find what you are good at, I think, more than getting pigeonholed into larger firms. So that's that's a whole other topic. (laughs) 
Well, Krista, I wanted to ask if there is someone listening who is in architecture school right now and is like drowning or just like, I can't find what I'm good at. What would your advice be to them for, to kind of encourage them that it's going to be better? So first I want to say that that person listening right now, if that is you, you are near and dear to my heart because I was you. (laughs) I was totally miserable when I was in architecture school. I was completely overwhelmed. I had no clue what I was getting myself into. I thought I would never find my place in this field. I wanted to leave. I thought like, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to be good at this. What have I gotten myself into? So first of all, my heart goes out to you. And second of all, take a deep breath, smile, relax, and understand that school is never going to be your be all end all. So the same way, if you're in architecture school, the same way that you right now think about high school and you thought high school was going to be your be all end all. And once you graduated, you were like, well, now what? That's what happens when you graduate from architecture school as well. You graduate from architecture school, you know, money doesn't rain from the ceiling, rainbows don't show up. Like the next day comes, it's not the be all end all. You will get through this without a problem. You will land that job. You will land that dream job. If it's not the first job that you get, it may be the second, third, fourth. Either way, you will find your way in the field. And even if you're struggling through architecture school, it does not mean that you are not a successful architect. It does not mean that you're not going to get licensed. It does not mean that you're not going to find your place in the field. You have skills, which is how you got yourself there in the first place, and you will get yourself out without a problem. So take a deep breath and smile and just put your best foot forward and speak with confidence when you're in your crits, speak with confidence when you're in your interviews, be very open to learning when you're in an office, have the humility to learn from other people around you, ask lots of questions, and don't let architecture school chew you up and spit you out because you're going to be fine. Oh, I love that. I wish I had you during my architecture school days. That would have been a great message. Well, Krista, thank you so much for coming on from the Honeycomb. And where can listeners find you? Totally. So if you want to reach out to me, I'm here for you always. I go live on the weekend. So if you need a message in the moment and you're in those final crit days, please reach out to me. Um, you can catch me on Instagram. It's at kmarco.mkr. So K m-a-r-c-o dot m-k-r send me a message we can connect through there if you'd like to work with me i take on students i do custom curriculums for you we can work together and we can actually work on these valuable skills that we just spoke about in this episode so if you'd like to work with me one-on-one then reach out to me on instagram right now that's the best way to the quickest way to reach out to me or if you're not on instagram i do have people also email me because i understand that instagram is the place that people go to deal with the comparison and all that stuff so i'm very happy for you to email me it's my first and last name at gmail so krista markovecchio at gmail.com and i'm sure that will be in the show notes because my last name's hard to spell (laughs) yes all of that information will be in the show notes for you so krista thank you again for coming on Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb. If you liked it, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast and be sure to check out the link in the show notes to sign up for my monthly newsletter where you will receive a spark of positive energy in your inbox. Thank you so much and see you next week.